Good morning, Faith Bible Fellowship Church family. It's an honor and privilege to be coming to you guys this Sunday and have the privilege of opening up God's word with you and sharing what God has been putting on my heart through these passages. It's been a while that I've been given this privilege, and I'm excited today. I'm excited to just share and see God work in our church. If you are tuning in to us, and you've been tuning in for the past couple of weeks, and, and you've never been to our church before, and you've kind of just seen this feed come across your Facebook, and you kind of just clicked on it and said, let me check it out. I want to encourage you to please leave a comment in the comment section, either on YouTube or on Facebook, and let us know that you're watching. We would love to get to know you. We would love to get your name and just kind of get to know you. And as soon as the doors are open, have you come actually fellowship with us? Have you come worship with us as, as the body of Christ? We would love to do that. So if you can, if it's your first, second, third time, and, and you've never seen here, you've never come to Faith Bible Fellowship Church, leave a comment. Let us know you're here, and we would love to connect with you and just see how you're doing. Well, it's been a challenging couple of weeks, I imagine, for everyone, having to be stay at home, not being able to go about your regular routine, but trying to figure out a new routine at home. Maybe you have extra people in the house now because schools aren't happening or, or people aren't working. And so it's been a challenging time for everyone. It's been challenging for us as well doing ministry where we haven't been able to physically gather with the body and see everyone on a Sunday and shake hands and have hugs and just be able to fellowship and, and talk with you guys on a weekly basis. And, and it's just phone calls aren't the same thing as, as physically seeing someone, as physically being there and shaking their hands, but they're, they're working. And, and even though it's been challenging having to do everything through Zoom, we have been encouraged at this time by the way we have stepped up as a church body. During this, this quarantine season of our lives in a church, we've started four small groups. People are just deciding we're going to get together over Zoom, and we're just going to talk for an hour, see how you're doing, joke around, play some games. And so we, we didn't have any beforehand, but now we have four small groups getting together almost on a weekly basis, just chatting up and seeing how everyone's doing. We've started a women's Bible study two weeks ago where, where 15 women got together on Zoom and opened up God's word and they looked at the book of, of Galatians and that's going to keep happening. They're going to be meeting this Saturday, again, this Saturday again through Zoom. And we're praying that within the next couple of weeks, we'll have a men's Bible study up and running here as well. We've got six men who, who are interested who want to get into God's word, who wants to spend time with, with other men looking, diving into God's word. So that's exciting. That's been encouraging for us to see that even though we haven't been able to physically meet, even though we haven't been able to gather as a church body, we have not grown distant at this time. If anything, we've grown closer through phone calls. We've grown closer through Zoom, through video conferencing, through FaceTime, or whatever it may be. So that's been an encouraging for us. And our hope and our prayers, that, that will just continue whenever we start to meet again, whenever we feel like it is the wise and prudent thing to do, that, that those things don't stop happening, but that they continue, that they, that they flourish even more. As you guys have been accustomed to, we've been coming through our church, we've been having church through this medium of, of Facebook or YouTube, and we've just been streaming it, and we've been sending out songs ahead of time for you guys to just worship as a family. And I know I've been blessed at that time, and I, my hope and prayers that you guys are as well. 
as you know, especially if you've been tuning in, that we have just been continuing in our series through Ephesians, that, that even though we started the, at the beginning of the year, we didn't let this stop us. We, we didn't choose to just pick up a new series, but let's just keep going as if we are meeting as a church body. And so Pastor West has been leading us through Ephesians, and it's been a blessing to me, and my hope and prayer is that it's been a blessing to you. I've spoken to a couple of you. I've heard a couple of stories of people really being convicted, really being encouraged about what has been, what God has been doing in our in our church, and are looking for ways to get involved. Are looking for ways to serve God in His church body, and that's a blessing. That's an encouragement to us. So we looked at last week. Pastor West looked at, at Ephesians, and he finishes with Ephesians 6, and he looked at, at the gifts that God has given certain people in the body to grow the church. And he said that, that it is important that we have to, as Pastor West says, we need to grow up. We need to mature in our faith, and we need to realize that we are to be working with one another. We are to share our gifts for the building up of the body. And so this week... It's really kind of the same thing. Paul is, is honing in on, on this argument that we need to grow up, that we need to mature in our Christian faith. Part of that, part of that process, part of that maturity process that we have in our faith is realizing the truth that we have in God's word, realizing the truth that God shares with us and internalizing it. It's understanding them. It's studying them so that we grow in our understanding, so that we grow in our maturity. So that is what we're going to be doing today. We're going to open up God's Word. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. And if I had to have this main idea, give you guys one or two sentences on what we're about to dive into, it's this. All Christians have a new identity in Christ that was given to them at the point of their conversion, and they should be growing stronger in their new identity by renewing their mind. Once again, all Christians have a new identity in Christ that was given to them at the point of conversion, and they should be growing stronger in their new identity by the renewing of their mind. Once again, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. If you have your Bible, please open up. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity, Father God, to that even though we, we aren't able to physically gather as a church body, Father God, you have still given us the means. You have still given us the technology to where we can still open up your word as one body and sit under the preaching of your word as one body, Father God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you use this time 
to convict us. Use this time to grow us. Use this time to transform our, our inner bodies, our inner selves, Father God, to be more conformed to you, Father God. Heavenly Father, use me today, a wretched sinner. May the words that I speak be the words that you want me to speak. May, may, may I remember the things that I've studied. May I remember the things that you have put on my heart, Father God. We ask that you use this time to do your will in our lives, Father God. May be willing to retain. May we be willing to hear what you have to say for us, Father God. Help us to grow in maturity. Help us to grow in our understanding of your truths. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. So Paul starts off in verse 17 by saying, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. Paul, Paul uses this language and what he's trying to do, he's trying to get the attention of his readers. He's letting them know that, that yes, I've had a lot to say so far, but don't give up. Don't tune away. Listen up. The way I look at it is Paul saying, he's clapping. He's, listen, what I'm about to say, uh, what I'm about to say, I testify and I agree with God and God agrees with what I'm saying. I affirm, as the NSB says, I affirm together with the Lord. He's pointing to the fact that, that what he's about to say is, is very real and it's very important and he wants them to pay attention. By saying, I testify in the Lord, Paul is saying that he, he wants his listeners to understand that the source of the authority that he's speaking to is, is God, that the ultimate authority that he's speaking has been given to him by God. So he says, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And really what we have here is there's two implications that we have by the word of Gentiles when he says no longer walk as the Gentiles. Really, there's, there's this ethnic implication where, where Paul's saying, don't walk as those Gentiles, who, who, those who are ethnically Gentile. Those, you know, that's the same way he uses it in verses, in chapter 2, verse 11. But the other implication is he's more of a, of a moral or, or cultural understanding of what's going on here. In other words, you can, you can read that saying, no longer walk as the pagans do. Those who don't believe, those who don't know me, don't walk like them. One way to put it in today's context is, is no longer walk as the Americans. Don't walk as the rest of the world. Don't walk as those who are not in me. Don't walk as the unregenerate. You should look different. You should be different. And no longer walk as the pagans, as unbelievers do. Leads me to my first point, that as Christians, our lives, our walk should look different than the rest of the world. That, that we need to be standing out. People should look at us and they should know that there's something different about us. Because, of, because we have Christ, we don't act like the rest of the world. We don't think like the rest of the world. We don't do what, like the rest of the world. This idea of, of, of people noticing something different about us, that should be a compliment to us. Someone, that someone would come up to you and say, I don't know, there's something different about you. What, what's different? Why aren't you like the rest of the people here? That's what we should be thriving for. That's what we should be. That's, that should be a compliment to us. We shouldn't stare, scare away from that. We shouldn't be afraid to stand out because of who we believe or what we believe. We should revel in that. 
Oftentimes, we're afraid to look different than the rest of the world. But Paul here is saying, no longer walk as them. If you're not walking as them, if you're not living the way they do, then you are different, and that should be obvious to the unbeliever. And so Paul goes on, and he really gives us what I see is four characteristics of what the unregenerate life looks like, of what the person who doesn't have Christ, of what the unbeliever, what their life looks like. And the first one is, is they have useless minds. You see this in, in, at, the, at the end of verse 17. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In other words, their minds, they, it serves no purpose. This idea of futility expresses that, that there's a meaningless to their minds, that there's, there's a uselessness to the minds, that it's empty, that it's worthless. It's that same idea that you see all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, what happens is, by, by, by saying that there's a futility of their mind, Paul is pointing out the fact that the unregenerate mind, the unbeliever's mind, is not functioning correctly. There's a malfunction going on because they don't have Christ, because they don't believe in God. They don't have the truth. Their minds don't work the right way. There's a malfunction going on. Paul, throughout this these verses places an emphasis on the mind, on our thought process. What we need to understand is that our mind, our thought process plays an important role in our walk. Things that we choose to listen to, the things that we indulge in, they will affect our walk. They will affect our maturity. The second characteristics that I see here is is verse 18. They, They have no understanding of the truth. Here's what Paul says. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't understand the truth that is in God. They look out to the world and and instead of seeing God, they try to find any other reason to, to, to explain the way the world works. They have their ignorance. They're alienated from God. They have an ignorance in their understanding. And their hearts are hardened. This idea, this, 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 is, this is more clear when we look at, at Romans 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. For his, at, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, what happens is the, 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 the unregenerate person, they, they, they don't understand, they have a lack of understanding. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated for God because they, they suppress the truth that is evident to everyone. What Paul's saying here in Romans is that you walk out into the world, you walk out into creation, and you look at it. And it all points to God. It points to the fact that there is a creator, that, that, that someone had to have thought, thought it, that someone had to have put it together and had made it. And so God is the one. We know the truth. We know that, that God is the creator of all the universe, that when he talks, stars come out of his his mouth, as the psalmist says. But the unregenerate person suppresses that truth. They walk out into creation, 
and they look at it and they try to find any other reason to explain it instead of the obvious that there is a creator who's holy and righteous. See, what creation should do, especially for us, who those who believe, those who have Christ, when we look out to creation, when we look at the trees, when we look at the stars, when we look at the clouds and the birds and all the animals, it should lead us to our knees to bow before a holy and righteous God and scream, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's what curation should do for us. That's what, what the stars should do in our hearts. It should lead us to bow down before a holy and righteous God. The person who doesn't have Christ, the person who doesn't know God, they suppress that truth. And in suppressing that truth, they reject God. So their hearts grow harder. And hear this, if you don't have God, then you have no moral standing for what you believe in. They reject the standards of the true righteous one, and therefore they have no morality. Which is what leads us to our third characteristics. They have become callous. They are indifferent. They are insensitive to the sin in their life. They have no true morality. They have no true spirituality. And so they just continue to revel in their sin. They continue to just live life however they want, not thinking how it affects other people, not thinking how it affects themselves. But they see sin and they see the consequence of it and they don't care. They've grown callous to that. They don't care about the consequences of sin in their life. And that's because which leads us to our fourth characteristic. They lack any real moral restraint. The, the unregenerate person lacks any real moral restraint. We finish in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have given themselves up to sensuality. Sin comes into life. Temptation comes into life. And they don't put up a fight. They continue to sin because they don't care. They can't deny it. They love it. This idea of sensuality, it's really talking about sexual sin. They just, they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. What does that look like? Go finish reading Romans chapter 1. I was reading verses 20 and 21, but read the rest of the verse. Read the rest of the chapter, and you'll see what it looks like for someone who has given themselves up to sensuality, what it looks like for someone who just practices every kind of impurity without ever giving it a thought. So what happens is that the unregenerate person cuts himself off from God and from the truth that is evident in the world, and so their hearts grow harder, and they become callous, and they no longer care about what they do, and they live how they want, not, care, not caring how it affects those around them. In other words, their lives are marked with sin. As Klein Snodgrass says, sin produces a malfunction of the mind. The unregenerate person's mind does not work properly because they live in their sin. That is why those who are in Christ, that is why we should look differently. We should live lives that are drastically different than the rest of the world. 
Our thought process should not be like the rest of the world. We should no longer be selfish, but selfless. We should no longer think for ourselves, but say, huh, what does God say about this? We should look different if we're an unregenerate person. Why is that? Why should we no longer walk as the Gentiles do? Paul goes on in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul says, "You that is not the way you learned Christ. It's not what you learned at conversion. That's not what you were taught. That's not what you heard about Jesus. That's not what you heard him speak. Paul here is pointing to, <coughs> he's pointing to, the form of education. But ultimately, the education that we have in Christ is a transformative education. Something that the more we learn, the more we study, the more that our minds are renewed, the more that we grow in our maturity in Christ. When we learn Christ, our lives are transformed because now we have this intimate relationship with God with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. He is still living. See, Paul says, you heard him. You were taught him as the truth is in Jesus. This is one of the only instances in Ephesians where Paul doesn't add anything there. He just says the truth is in Jesus. He doesn't say the truth is in Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that the truth truth is in in Jesus the Messiah. He says the truth is in Jesus. He's pointing to the person of Jesus. He's pointing to the one who walked on this earth, who was crucified, who died, and who rose again. He's pointing to the fact that the truth is in Jesus, that he's a living person, and that we have this relationship with him. He's pointing to the fact that that these aren't just facts that we learn. We don't just read it to retain facts, but that Jesus is still alive. And the truth is in him. What is this truth? truth we see that in verses 23 to 24 to put off your old self which belongs to the former life manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness leads me to my second and final point that the mature christian walks in their new identity we walk in our new identity. We understand what it means to put on the new self and we walk in that truth. And that we never stop growing and we, that we seek God in the constant renewal of our mind. Once again, second point, the mature Christian walks in their new identity and they never stop growing in Christ, seeking God for the constant renewal of their mind. So the first thing I want to point out is the way the, the, the way that these three verses, verses 22, 23, and 24, the way it's written. Because the way that it's written plays an important role. The structure plays an important role in our understanding of how we look at these verses. They're written in the infinitive. They're written as, as statements that were true, that that has happened. It's pointing to a once 
once in a lifetime opportunity, not opportunity, it's pointing to a, a certain event that happened once and it's forever. In other words, that this idea that the old self was put away and that the new self was put on and that our minds were renewed, it happened at our conversion. It's in the infinitive. These acts, in other words, these acts were completed at our conversion. That's specifically speaking of verses 22 and 24. They're written as in the heiress middle, which is written in, in a way to say that these acts were completed. It's done with. The old self was already put off and the new self was put on and you've walked away from your old self. You took it off, you put it to the side and you continued walking. It doesn't stay in your closet. It's not close by, but you walk in your new self. You walk in your new identity. In other words, what verses 22 and 24 is pointing at is our justification. And when we look at verse 23, what it's talking about is our sanctification. See, the language we see here is very similar to what we see in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, where Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. It's important here. We know that our old self was crucified, that your old self, your old identity has been crucified with Christ. And so it no longer is a part of you. It's dead. Your old self is dead. It happened. It's, that's, what's ha- that's what happened at conversion. So that you will no longer be enslaved to sin. Another good verse to look at is in Colossians 3, chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. See, we have to understand, we have to walk in the truth that, that we, the moment we came to believe in God, the old self, the former life that you once lived was put off and was laid to the side and you now walk ever since your conversion in your new identity. The old self doesn't stay creeping around, doesn't stay in your, clo- doesn't stay in your closet. The image here points to, to this image of, of clothes, of, of you putting off the old garment and putting on the new garment. So it doesn't just stay on the floor. It doesn't stay lurking around on your bed or in that pile of clothes in the corner. You've put it off and you've walked away and now you walk ever since your conversion in your new identity, in your new self. In other words, the old self, the way that you used to think, the way that you used to act, that no longer is who you are. You are a whole new being. The old self has died and we must. It's important for us to realize that truth, that we now walk in our new identity. The two cannot mix. You don't have old pants and a new shirt. You can't continue to this, you can't decide to continue to sin and proclaim to live in in Christ. You cannot refuse to give up your sin and profess to live in Christ. The two cannot mix, which is why God had to do the work at our conversion to take the old self off and put the new one. And now we, like I've said, walk in our new identity. We walk according to that truth that we are new in our, we are a new identity. 
We need to be reminding ourselves that. We need to be reminding ourselves that we're no longer, no part of us is a part of the old, that we are a new creation, a new identity, and that we need to walk in that truth, walk in that understanding. I'm not saying that Satan isn't around. I'm not saying that he's going to be deceitful and try to get you to slip and stumble, but we have to walk in our new identity that Christ has given us. That it's that he reigns victorious, that he has defeated sin, and therefore we are no longer enslaved to sin because of what Christ has done at the cross. We need to walk in that every single day. We need to remind ourselves of that, that we're no longer our old selves, but we are our new selves. We have a new identity. We no longer have to continue in sin, but we have to seek God to give us the strength to stop sinning. This is why verse 23 is so important. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is important for us to understand. Remember what I said earlier. This this is talking to our sanctification. That this renewal of the mind, it's written in the present passive voice in the Greek. Which means that it's an ongoing process. This renewal of the mind happens continuously in the believer as they walk in Christ. As they walk in a new identity, their mind will continue to be renewed and renewed and renewed. And they'll continue to be molded and shaped to look more and more like their Lord and Savior. You see, this is written, as I just said, in the passive voice. In other words, it is God who is doing the renewing of the mind. It is God who has given us the strength to walk according to his ways. It is God who matures us. It is God who transforms us. It is God who gives us the new identity and who gives us the ability to walk according to that. As one commentator noted, he, God, performs the work of inward transformation, renewing our affection for him and giving us an ever-deepening understanding of his ways. God is the one who works in us. We see this in Ephesians six, Ephesians 3, chapter 3, verse 16. I'm starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being god is the one who transforms us god is the one who renews us god is the one who holds on to us and when we are weak he gives us the strength that we need to fight sin that we we that we can live in a life where we are no longer enslaved to sin god is the one who does the renewing of the mind he did it at the point of conversion and he keeps renewing as we walk in him here's what i'm not saying I'm not saying that we don't have to do anything, that now we can just be couch potatoes and not worry about what the things that we do or the things that, that we are or, or th- our thoughts. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we walk in, in our new identity. We make choices every day to conform to the image of Christ. We make choices every day to open up our word and to pray and to hang on to the truth that we find in the scriptures. We play a little bit of a role in this. We see this in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Paul is calling us here in Colossians to, to be actively seeking the things of God, actively seeking the things of above, and actively transforming our mind by renewing it. So in other words, God works through various means to transform his people. God works through various means to grow his church. God works through various means to mature his church. We just have to walk according to those things. What are some of those means? God uses the preaching of his word to convict us. God uses the preaching of his word to grow us, to lead us to maturity, to renew our minds each and every week that we sit under it. That is a means that God uses to transform his people. God will use your own personal Bible study time to transform you, to mature you. He will use that time that you decide to open up his word and study it, to look at it and read it and internalize it to mature you, to give you the strength to say no, to give you the strength to battle sin here on earth. God will use all this to grow his church, to mature his people, to lead his children closer to him. God will use your prayer life to mature you. These are all means that God uses to transform his people, to renew their minds. God will use the fellowship of the believers to transform, to convict us, to make us, to chisel away any areas in our life that are no longer glorifying him. He will use the gathering. We decide to gather with other believers and and share what God is doing in our hearts and, and have accountability partners, God will use all of that to renew our minds, to transform us. He will use the sacraments. He will use the communion that we have every on Sundays when we break the bread and we have the Last Supper. He will use that to grow us, to mature us, to transform us. Notice the emphasis here is all in our mind. Be transformed, saying, says in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Listen here. The things that you do, the things that you choose to indulge in will ultimately have an effect on your growth, on your maturity. If you decide to fill your mind with filth and garbage, then you will produce filth and garbage. Our minds, our, our thought process, they play an important role in the life of the believer, in the maturity of the believer. We have to set our minds on the things that are above. Let me let, me let you in on a little secret here. If you are not spending time seeking God, then guess what? You will not grow in it. You will not mature in your faith if you're not willing to give God some time. If you're not willing to get up on a Sunday and go to church instead of staying home, and watching TV, watching football, you will not mature in the faith. We need the constant renewal of our mind, and we need to use the means that God has given us for that renewal. God will renew it. We just got to take some little baby steps here and there. Tony Merdia writes, We must give attention to our minds for growth and godliness. We must renew them, wash them, clean them with the word of God and meditate on that which is good 
right, and true in order to live the new life. We have to set our things on, we have to set our minds on the things that are above if we want to be renewed, if we want to be transformed, if we want to mature in our walk with Christ, then we have to focus on godly things. We have to make those decisions of gathering with other believers, of spending time in his word. And God will use that. He will use your own personal Bible study time, your own personal devotional to transform you. So once you start doing that, once you start walking according to your new identity, understanding that you were given a new identity at the point of your conversion. So whether you're in Christ for three months or 15 years, at your point of conversion, you were given a new identity. And we need to start to walk out in that identity. If we want to grow, if we want to mature, we have to walk according to that truth. We've been given a new identity. You see this in verse 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, into righteousness and holiness. Understand this. You are given a new self. This is an entirely new self. You've been given a new character. You've been given a new identity. This isn't a refurbished identity. This isn't something that was renovated. God didn't just come into our into our hearts and put up some plywood and put up some drywall and nail it in and say, now that's a new heart. He's given you an entirely new identity. It's just, it's just, it's just as if we're a new species. We are completely new. Nothing about our old self remains. We've been given a completely new identity. And it's in. Our identity is in, it's being created. It, it was created in Christ Jesus, in true righteousness, in true holiness. And that is how we should walk. That we should look at ourselves and understand that when Christ looks at us, he's, when God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. He sees Christ's holiness in us. And we need to walk according to that. We need to walk according to our new identity. If we want to grow, if we want to mature, if we want to grow in our relationship with Christ, and we have to walk according to that truth. We cannot continue to play around and act like we have the old self around here. We... At conversion, the old self was left there, and you completely walked away from it. It's not hanging around. If you are a believer, you were given a new identity in Christ, and we have to walk according to that identity. We have to walk according to the truth that Christ reigns victorious, that he has defeated sin. Therefore, we are no longer enslaved to sin. That's how we need to walk. We need to walk as if, we've, as if Christ has defeated everything. Because that's the truth. You've been given a new identity. You now stand before a perfect and holy God, blameless. Because of what Christ has done on your behalf. So as believers, we have to walk according to that. We have to understand it. We have to live according to that truth. If you're listening and you don't have Christ, he's not a part 
of your life, you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, everything that I've been saying, this new identity, this, this ability to stand before a perfect and holy God and be blameless because of what Christ did is available to you. You are able to have this new identity. You are able to be given the strength to say no, to fight those urges, and to live a life that is holy and righteous before a holy God because of what Christ has done. That is available to you. You just need to repent and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he walked on this earth and he took the cross and he was nailed there for your sins. And so the wrath of God was laid on him instead of you. That is available to you. But we need to walk in that. You need to repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'd like to end with a quote from John MacArthur. The mark of the Christian life is to think like Christ, act like Christ, love like Christ, and in every possible way to be like Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you, Heavenly Father. We humble ourselves before your throne. We fall to our knees before your throne, Heavenly God, thanking you for being a God of love, for being a God of mercy, for being a God of grace, understanding that we don't deserve any of this, we don't deserve to be given a new identity. We don't deserve to be given a new mind. We don't deserve for you to be working in us. But because of your love, because of your mercy, because of your grace, you choose to work in your children. And we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise, Father God, for that. We ask that you give us the strength to walk out in our new identity, Father God, as we go about this week, as we, as we have more time at home, Father God. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Help us to grow in our maturity. Help us to grow in you, in our understanding of the truth. Help us to walk in our new identity, Heavenly Father. Be with us. Guide us. Keep us in your will, Father God. In your name we pray. Amen. Today, our benediction is found in Romans 12. Verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be at peace, church.